in our discussions of peace over the last uh, few weeks, we've looked at a number of different as aspects of it. Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the purpose of peace. Peace has a purpose. There's a reason that we are, are given peace by God. Uh, take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, that's really our focal verse this morning, but we're going to look at uh, the, the whole, uh, whole passage uh, here, Romans 5, 1 through 11. Uh, chapter, or rather, verse 1 is kind of our, our, our gotcha verse, so uh, that's what we need to, to kind of prime the pump with. But this whole passage speaks to the purpose of peace. Now, I've talked about World War II uh, a couple of times in uh, our messages and, and other wars because, to be honest, when we think of peace, we do think of war. Uh, that, that's the opposite. Uh, my, my first thought when somebody talks about peace is the, the uh, absence or the, coming, uh, the conclusion, the coming to an end of, of war. At the end of World War II, uh, there was a general... Uh, General Marshall, he had a first name, I'm sure, but I don't think it was General. I think it was something else, uh, who had this idea to, to help Europe in their recovery efforts. It became known as the Marshall Plan. It was uh, proposed, actually, by a couple of senators, but it was named after this general who had the, had the initial idea. From 1947 to, to 1951, this plan was in place to help uh, Western European countries overcome the ravages of war. I mean, if you look at pictures of what Germany in particular, um, but, but France and Belgium and uh, so many other countries looked like at the end of the war, you just, you really wonder how they ever recovered anything. I mean, the, the, they were just destroyed. Whole cities, big cities, were, were, were wiped out. This plan cost uh, $13 billion at the time, which would be about $130 billion today. And I said, as I said, that it helped rebuild Western European countries, but its, its primary purpose, really, its political purpose, uh, was to discourage communism, to get uh, commerce back on track, to get capitalism back on track in, in Western Europe so that communism would not creep in as they were, uh, as the uh, American leaders were concerned would happen and we see did in Eastern European countries when uh, the USSR took over after World War II. There was a, a similar plan for Asian countries as well, though it wasn't called the, the Marshall Plan. So this was peace with a purpose. This wasn't just, okay, we end the war, uh, everything's over, all right, bye, you know, see ya, hope you, hope you do all right, you know, rebuilding and stuff, and, you know, if you don't, eh, too bad, we'll see ya. It wasn't that kind of thing. It was America decided that, that peace was going to have a purpose in Western Europe. The, the, this peace was going to have a purpose, the, the purpose of helping them rebuild, of, of truly uh, coming back together, of, of reconciling. We're going to help you now. We, we just kicked your fanny in war, but now we're going to help you build back up. Now that you've gotten rid of the leaders that were causing the problem, we're going to help you out. 
That is peace with a purpose, and that's what we're discussing this morning. Turn with me, if you haven't already, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It says, Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we, re we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character. And proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through him. Peace with a purpose. Peace with a purpose allows us to, to see certain things. After a war, peace with a purpose allows us to see, uh, hopefully, our enemies now as, as friends. Uh, after the war, during World War II, you know, the Germans were our enemies. You, you didn't trust Germans. We, you, didn't, you didn't trust uh, Japanese. We actually in the U.S. had internment camps uh, for Japanese for a while. And whether good or bad, it was a decision made because, hey, we need to make sure uh, some, that we are being secure in the midst of, of this war. So we, we take, we, we had these issues. You can't trust at the time, you couldn't trust, you didn't think you could trust, rather, Germans and, and maybe Italians and, and Japanese and uh, others that were fighting against us in World War II. Afterward, you want to fix that. You should. And, and a, a purpose, uh, a peace with purpose allows us to realize that in the case of World War II, I did not really have a beef with that German man across the battle lines. Uh, it, it, our governments had an issue, and we fought to support our governments, but my personal relationship with him was not such that I hate you just because you're German. It's, you know, we are fighting for different ideologies, and uh, you support, maybe, your leader back home in his ideologies. I support, maybe, my leader back home in, in his ideologies, and therefore, you know, we, we, we've got some things to discuss, and uh, our discussions come at the point of a, a barrel of a gun. But afterward, we realize, hopefully, that I don't have a beef with you. I, I don't have, uh, you, you, you aren't my enemy. That's what peace allows us to see. Peace here in this scripture allows us to realize certain things as well. Now, I do want to say at the beginning that peace is a result of salvation, not prior to it. So we don't have peace 
ah, peace with God, and then we get saved because we have peace with that. Uh, salvation is not one of the things we realize. I have peace with God, then I realize I'm saved. It's not that kind of situation. It's I get saved, and then I have peace with God. And I'm able to realize certain things because of that peace. Two things that peace allows us to realize, peace in a biblical sense, allows us to realize. First is peace allows us to realize joy because of grace. Verse 2 tells us that. It says, We have also obtained access through him by faith, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have joy in our salvation. We have true joy knowing that I will be saved. And we have that because our peace, our internal peace, allows us to experience it. If we are at, at, in constant turmoil internally, and this, this should really be obvious, it should, this should be kind of one of those duh statements, uh, if, if we are in spiritual turmoil, we don't realize the joy of our salvation. One, we don't realize it because we don't have it. But, but two, we don't realize it because even if we have uh, uh, heard about it, if we have... Um, People have told us about the joy we can have in, in salvation through Jesus Christ. If, if someone mentions that, we, we don't believe it because our internals, our, our, our spiritual internal is so disrupted that we can't experience that peace. We cannot experience peace, uh, or we can't experience joy, rather, uh, in, in the midst of turmoil, internal turmoil internal turmoil brought about by a lack of salvation, a, uh, a, a lack of Jesus Christ, internal turmoil brought on by our spiritual lostness. We can't experience joy in that. But when we experience salvation, when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we do have internal spiritual peace. Not external peace. The, the storms still come, like I talked about uh, last week. The hurricane is still there. We still have external problems, as the next passage is going to tell us. But internally, we have peace. And in the midst of that peace, we know the joy of our salvation because, he says in verse 2, we are declared righteous by our faith. We are declared not guilty. When, when God looks on us, He does not see sinfulness. Yes, we are sinners still, but He does not see the effects of our sin. He does not see, and God sees everything. God knows everything. You know, the, the phrase I'm using here, God doesn't see or God does see, it's not literal. What, what I'm saying is God does not hold us accountable for our sins any longer because we are sin free. We are sinless in the eyes of God. We have been declared righteous. We are right. We are not guilty of our sins because of Jesus Christ, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We have joy in that grace. We can realize the joy of that grace because we have been given peace 
through Jesus Christ. Our internal peacefulness allows us to, even in the midst of our storms, even in the midst of our continued sinfulness, our continued sinful state, our, our continued uh, sinning, even in the midst of that, we have joy in our salvation knowing that we have been declared righteous. That's a pretty amazing thing, that even in the midst of whatever I'm going through, I have joy knowing that I'm saved. I, I like that idea. I, I, I wish that more often in my life, the joy of my salvation would push, push out the sinfulness of my human nature. Sometimes it does. Uh, more often than not, it doesn't. And I'm still, as Paul said, at war within myself between these two ideas, these two natures. So, first of all, we have joy because of grace. Peace allows us to realize that. The second thing we have is joy in affliction. Verse 3, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. But Michael, peace means no affliction. No, it doesn't. It does not. Peace does not mean external peacefulness, but it means internal peace. It is internal peace, not external, uh, not a peaceful existence. We have joy in our affliction because we have hope in our salvation. I can go through whatever situation I'm going through. I can go through all these afflictions knowing that this is not the end for me. I can spend 70, 80, 100 years in constant spiritual, physical, emotional, financial affliction knowing that that doesn't matter because at the end of my 70, 80, 90, 100 years, I get to go to heaven. There are Christians all around the world. For 2,000 years, there have been Christians over and over and over that live a life of nothing but pain and heartache and suffering. And their only hope... Their only joy is one day I get to die and be with Jesus. That is joy in affliction. We have internal peace. They had internal peace, but they did not have a peaceful existence. There is a difference and we need to understand that. And we take joy in our affliction because Paul goes on to say, we rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction will produce endurance. The more affliction I go through, the better I can handle affliction. That's just the way it works. That endurance produces proven character. The, the better I endure my affliction, the better my character in the midst of the affliction. The, the, the better I represent Christ to other people as I go through that affliction. That proven character produces hope. Because if I get my mind right, my mind of Christ that I'm supposed to have once I'm saved, if I get that right, then I will know this affliction does not matter because I have an eternal hope. I know that whatever I'm going through now will end. And if it doesn't end, it will end. If it doesn't end in this life, the end of my life will end it. 
One day these afflictions will be over. I will get to be with Jesus. I will experience an eternity of joy and peace and comfort and relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And these minor afflictions that I went through for 70, 80, 90, 100 years will not matter one bit. That is peace. That is what peace allows us to realize. Joy in our salvation and joy in our afflictions. But as I said earlier, peace implies war. I mean, that's, that's what we think of. I mean, if you have toddlers, you, you tend to think of peace as when they're asleep. And it is um, in a lot of ways. Uh, but uh, you also, my, as I said, my first thought was when I think of peace, I think of the absence of war. When I think of peace, I have in mind the end of World War II, World War I, Civil War, Vietnam, whatever. I, I think of those kinds of situations. That's what comes to mind. So you might be thinking, Michael, you are implying war here, and I'm not at war with God. Never have been, I don't believe. And I'm going to tell you, yeah, you have. We were at war with God. Let's look at what he continues to say here, beginning in verse 6. Peace definitely implies war. What does Paul say about us? He says in verse 6, While we were still helpless, or weak might be what your, your uh, copy of Scripture says, while we were still weak, what does that mean? That is an inability to do good. I could not do good things. I mean, I, I, you know, I could help somebody here, help somebody over there, but I could, not, I could not be good. I could not overcome my sinfulness. That's what he's talking about here. I could not be good. I was helpless. I was weak to do that. Well, Michael, that doesn't imply war. You're right. You're right it doesn't, but let's, let's keep going. For while we were still helpless at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly or godless. Okay, godless means no help from God. I was weak in my ability to do good, and I could not get any help from God because I had no relationship with him. We have people all the time that say, they, they, they give no evidence of Christian faith. They, uh, they don't darken the doors of a church. They, I mean, if, if, you, if you had a checklist of these are all the things you kind of expect a Christian to do, and these are all the things you kind of expect a Christian not to do, and they don't do any of these things, but they do all of these things, you know the people I'm talking about. And then they will say when they get into a bad situation, oh, I pray God will help me in this situation. And, you know, it, it's, I kind of feel like God's up there going, wait, who are you? What? I, I mean, okay, again, he knows who they are. He knows their name, that kind of thing. And I'm certainly not saying that God can't use their bad situation in, in, in order to bring them to himself, to, to show something of himself to them so that when they hear the gospel again down the road, when they are softened by another affliction, they are ready to truly turn to him. I'm not saying he won't use those things, but what I am saying is that there is no relationship there that implies that he will immediately provide them with the help they need. For example, 
if my dad is walking down the street uh, or the mall or a gas station or something and, and somebody asks him for uh, a dollar or they ask him for uh, uh, gas for their, for their car, he may or may not help them. He doesn't know them. He's not sure what they're going to do with the money if he gives them cash. I, I can just about guarantee you he won't give them cash. <clears throat> he might give them, uh, fill up their tank or something like that, but he's, he's not going to just give them money. Why? He has no relationship with them. He doesn't know what they're going to do with that. It, it's, it's, not, it's not that he's unconcerned or uncaring, but there is no relationship there that would require or even request him to, to help them in their situation. He doesn't know the details, no matter what story they tell. We don't know if that's true or not. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't have a relationship that lends itself to him helping those people. On the other hand, if I go to my dad and say, Daddy, we're in a bit of a bind. I need help with this, whether it's money or, or fixing a car or, or something like that. He, he will be, now he's going to ask me some questions. How did you get here? Why did this happen? Uh, what's going on? He wants to find out the root of the problem. But in the end, he is going to help me in some way. Maybe he won't give me money, but he will uh, tell me, well, this is what you can do to fix your problem Something like that. Why does he respond that way? We have a relationship. I'm his child. Therefore, he's going to do everything he can to help me out. Everything within his power to, to, to do what is best for me. That's why he might not give me money. He might say, well, this is a situation you need to go through, but let me walk with you through it. That's what he's going to do. He has my best interests in mind. Therefore, he's going to do the thing that he feels is best for me at the time. That is what God's going to do as well. Now, it, the, the picture is blown up because God does know this person that has no relationship with him, knows all about that person, knows what they're going through, knows what they've done, knows uh, everything about their lives, and yet he still is going to do what is best for that person. And it might be that what is best for that person, it might be that God's saying, you know what, you have ignored me for 50 years. Why? I'm going to give you what you want. You have said over and over, I want nothing to do with God. I'm going to answer that prayer first right now and not the one where you get help out of your situation. He may do something like that. I don't, I don't know how the mind of God works, so I'm not going to get too deep into that. But what I will say is that God, uh, Paul says here, God says through Paul, you were godless. You received no help from me. You, you could get no help from me, and you were okay with that most of the time. You were weak. You were godless. And then he goes on to say, because you're thinking, but godless doesn't mean we're enemies. It's just we were indifferent, right? Didn't have a relationship, didn't know much about him. That was, that was something different or, or indifferent. Well, no, let's keep going. Not only were you weak and godless, you were sinners. You were separated from God. Sin separates us from God. Why does it separate us from God? Well, verse 8 says, But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does sin separate us? 1 John 
5 and 6 says, Now this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. There's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. See, God and sin cannot coexist. They, they, they don't, they're not buddies. They don't get along. So my sinfulness has to be taken care of before I can have a relationship with him. I was godless because I was a sinner. Now we're getting into some area of, of friction. We're not just indifferent. We are, as sinners, disobedient to God. Now you say, well, that doesn't mean we're, we're still enemies. I mean, they're just, okay, so we're disobedient, but maybe he's not the boss of me, you know, something like that. Maybe, maybe I, I'm, I don't, you know, I am disobedient currently to the Chinese government too, but I don't, I don't consider them my enemies just because I don't follow their laws. I'm not a part of their country. I just wasn't a part of God's country. Again, we just didn't have a relationship. I was indifferent toward God. I wasn't his enemy. Well, let's keep going. Verse 9 much more then, since we have now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him, Jesus, from wrath. Well, now it's kind, of, it's kind of starting to sound a little harsh. Wrath. Wrath is our earned wage. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Death is a result of Death, separation from God, not just this physical body dying, but eternal death, separation from God, is, one, is the wage of our sinfulness. As sinners who were godless and weak, unable to do good, we are deserving, we have earned God's wrath. Now it's beginning to start, sound like there's more here than indifference. Uh, we, it's more than we just don't get along. We have done something to earn wrath. And, and what we have done is sin. Sinfulness earns God's wrath. And if you still don't think that's enough to mean we are at war, Paul anticipated your questions and answered them in verse 10. For if, while we were enemies... Paul makes it clear that our sinfulness was not just about indifference. It, it, it didn't just uh, make us um, uh, not uh, uh, unattractive to each other. Uh, we, are, uh, we, we can't come together. I'm, I'm struggling to come up with the word here. Uh, we, we, we are not compatible, uncompatible, incompatible, uncompatible. And, uh, what, we're not compatible, right? Uh, we are, we can't, it, it's not that. It's not that just we're, we're, we're oil and water. Oil and water aren't, aren't, aren't enemies. They just don't mix. They just don't go together well. We are not just that. We are enemies. We are at war, not just at odds. We have an ideological worldview that is completely counter to God's, and we are at war with each other prior to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul develops it slowly. We were weak. 
We were unable to do good. We were godless. We got no help from God. We had no relationship with him. We are sinners. That's why we have no relationship with him, because we cannot have a relationship with God in our sinfulness. Our sinfulness deserves God's wrath. That is the wage we have earned. So you see, you have chosen to be a sinner. Therefore, you are an enemy of God. Every time you choose to sin, you are choosing yourself, your sinfulness, over God. Saying, I defy you, and I am doing everything in my power to defeat and overthrow you in my life. That is sinfulness. And when we surrender... That's when we experience a coming together, when we experience peace, when the war between us and God ends. When we accept Jesus Christ, we surrender our lives to Him, we surrender our sins to Him, we surrender our sinfulness to Him and say, I want to be on your team, on your side. We then experience peace. Paul kind of bookends this passage, 1 through 11, with peace. Verse 1, he talks about peace. Verses uh, 10 and 11, he uses a different word that kind of means the same thing, reconciled or reconciliation. We are at peace with God when we are reconciled. When peace is made, verses 10 and 11, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through Him. Some things to point out here. First of all, justification, which he talks about earlier and actually throughout chapters 1 through 4 of Romans. Justification is legal. It is declared innocent. Not a hung jury, not a mistrial, but you are innocent of the charges. That's what has happened to us when we accept Christ. We are declared innocent. Reconciliation is not legal, but relational. Reconciliation is a bringing together of two warring parties. That's what we see happening here. We see we were enemies. But peace was made through Jesus Christ on the cross. The, 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 the terms of, of my surrender were written down. I talked about that with Japan a couple of weeks ago. That, that the, the terms of surrender were written down earlier in, in the Potsdam Declaration. This is what's going to have to happen in order for there to be peace between the U.S., the, the, the Allies, and Japan. It was written down, these things, the, the unconditional surrender. Then when the instrument of surrender was signed on, on the USS Missouri, when that was signed, the, one of the big conditions was that there were none. It was unconditional surrender by Japan. That's what happened at the cross. The, the terms were written down, said, it must be by my blood, an unconditional surrender of, of you, humanity, to me, Jesus, or to God, through me, Jesus Christ. 
unconditional surrender. Those are the terms. So when we come to those terms, when we have that peace, when we uh, admit that, yes, I'm wrong and can do nothing about this, you're right and I want to experience peace with you, when that happens, we are reconciled. We are brought together with God, these two warring parties, a, a new relationship with a former enemy produces the hope of new relationship fruit. The Marshall Plan did that. The Marshall Plan brought together these two warring parties in Europe, the Allies and, and the Axis uh, powers, brought them together and said, look, we want to reconcile we want purpose in our peace. We want to reconcile in order that we have a new relationship with new relationship fruit. And that's what we have today with, with Germany and other... Uh, Germany is one of our better friends in, in, in Europe. We still disagree on a number of things, but as far as standing together for freedom, we have stood together now for 60, 70 years or so. This new relationship has produced new relationship fruit. That is the result of peace with a purpose. See, look at verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. The terms of surrender. Then how much more, when, when that happened, having been reconciled at our salvation, the terms were made at the cross, we reconciled at our salvation when we surrendered, when we agreed to the terms. He says, how much more then, if, if having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? Will we be saved? This future idea, we will experience peace then, just as we experience inter internal peace now. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have now received this reconciliation through Him. Reconciliation, terms of surrender, we reconciled, we will experience heaven. We have the joy, we have the, the knowledge of our hope, even in these afflictions. But it's not just then, verse 11 says, we have now received this reconciliation through Him. We receive the benefits of salvation right now. Internal peace. We are reconciled. We are at peace. We no longer war with God. But very important that we see that this happens through Jesus only. Folks, there is no peace without Jesus. There is no way that any of this happens without our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no path to peace with God. There is no other way than unconditional surrender through Jesus Christ. Paul says it over and over and over particularly in Romans chapters 5 through 8. One theologian points it out. He says, uh, All God has for us is to be found in or through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5 through 8, we see that peace with God comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 5, verse 1. Our boasting in God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Five, uh, chapter 5, verse 11. 
We see grace reigns through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 6, verse 23. Thanks for deliverance are due to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Chapter 7, verse 25. The love of God from which nothing can ever separate the believer is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Chapter 8, verse 39. We owe all to Jesus. We owe all of our peace to Him. See, Jesus is the martial plan of our lives. Jesus is this provider of peace in our lives that uh, produces, that provides for rather the, the growth of our hope. I can, I can hope for eternity. I can hope for right now because of the peace that I have in Jesus. But not only does it provide, the growth of our, provide for the growth, growth of our hope, it provides for the expansion of our witness. I have hope in my life. I have hope in my affliction that allows other people to see that they too can have hope in their affliction. As my hope grows, as my endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope, and hope will not disappoint, as those things grow in my life, then I am a better witness to others about what their lives can be like. How even in the midst of uh, this, this non-peaceful existence that they're in, they can have internal peace through Jesus Christ. We can share that message with them because we have experienced that message ourselves. We have peace in Jesus, because Jesus is peace. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. What I owe because of my sinfulness is death. A lack of peace. Uh, a, lack of, uh, a lack of God in my life completely. I get my wish. I've wanted to be godless. If I die without Jesus, I get my wish for eternity. I will be godless. I earn that by my sinfulness. But though the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. The gift, the, the, the opportunity for you to accept this that is freely offered. You can't earn it. You've done nothing to earn it. Quit trying to earn your salvation. You can't. Christian, quit trying to earn the salvation or trying to keep the salvation that you didn't earn. You can't. You can't be good enough to earn it. You can't be good enough to keep it. It is a gift, and it is from the very hand of God. The one with whom we are enemies said, here is the gift I'm going to give you. Accept that gift. Receive that gift, that eternal life eternal peace, internal peace now. But it is only through Jesus Christ our Lord. You don't get it by coming at it any other way. You don't get it by joining a church. You don't get it by sitting in a pew. You don't get it because your parents were good or you're good or your grandparents were good or anything like that. You only get it through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Trusting Him and Him alone for your salvation. 
That's it. That is the gift of God. That is true peace. That is the Marshall Plan. That is peace with a purpose. Experience the peace of Jesus. Share that peace with others. That is peace with a purpose. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you that you have provided for peace in our lives, that you have provided a, a way, a, a method, a, not just a way or a method, but the way, the method for peace in our lives, peace for eternity, peace through relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that you saw fit even while we were helpless, godless, while we were sinners, deserving of wrath, even your enemy, you chose to send that gift and save us. God, thank you for your grace, your graciousness, your love for us, even in our lost state. Lord, move on hearts to hear your word and to trust you as Savior today, tomorrow when they watch this message, the next day. Lord, at every opportunity when, when this message is heard, Lord, I pray someone will respond to the gospel and trust you as their Savior, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.